first Sunday of 2018. How are we doing on our New Year's resolutions, everybody? We're seven days in. Anybody give up already? <laughs> Says a lot about us if we did. I've never been a huge New Year's resolution sort of a guy, but another pastor got in my ear this year. He shall remain, remain nameless, but it's Rustin. And he said this. He said, hey, why don't the two of us try and lose 100 pounds this year? I thought, man, that's great. I could probably stand to lose 12, so that only leaves 88 for him. So we'll see how the big man does with that. But if you see us out and about and we're eating a salad and we don't finish it, don't take away our man card. Know that we're working on something bigger and greater out there. But it's going to be a fun year, and hopefully you guys are excited about what 2018 has to offer. I want to welcome all of you guys that are over in the venue and those of you at Cactus Campus, all of you over in the chapel, and especially those of you watching online. Welcome to this Sunday. It's going to be a fun Sunday morning, I'm excited to be here with you guys. But before we jump into our passage this morning, as the pastor of men's and marriage ministry, I've got an announcement for you. Uh, here, here's the deal. I truly believe that Matthew 28, 19 is the great commission and that Jesus really expected his followers to go out and make disciples. So when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, people have been doing that for years, which is why 2,000 years later, we're here in Scottsdale still worshiping the Lord because faithful people have discipled other people up throughout history, and so here's my challenge and question for you. Who are you discipling? Who are you actively discipling right now? Who are those men or those women that you have under your wing that you're saying, they're becoming more like Christ as a direct impact of my influence on them? And if you can't think of anybody, or if you kind of find yourself like so many of us going, you know, I don't know if I'm actively discipling anybody right now. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to join me starting next week. Married couples, we're gonna do a discipleship training at nine o'clock. And for all of you men, we're gonna start at 11 o'clock over in the A building. And for those of you guys at Cactus, we're gonna be bringing it to you hopefully later this spring. We wanna train you up, we wanna equip, we wanna prepare you to go out and live out the Great Commission and disciple people up. I don't care if you're 85 years old or you're 20 years old, the Great Commission is for all of us. And so we're gonna try and make it real clear, real simple, give you a very clear picture of what it looks like to disciple other people up in the Lord because I really think that's what God's called us to do, not only as a church, but especially in men's and marriage ministry. So if you're interested in that, come join us. We'd love to have you be a part of that. It's gonna be at nine o'clock again for married couples, 11 o'clock for men, and we're gonna equip and train you and send you out to, to change the world for Jesus Christ. It's gonna be great. That sound good? Hey, thank you. Let me, uh, let me pray for us before we dive into our scripture tonight or this morning. God, thank you so much for the privilege of getting to be here. God, I thank you just for a chance to worship you each and every week. God, what a blessing it is that you would count it a joy to hear from us as your kids. So God, we thank you for that. God, I pray for this morning as we dive into your word, as we hear from your word, God, that it would speak to our hearts. And God, I pray especially for those that are in here that are really wrestling with some serious fears. God, things that they're very, very concerned with. God, fears that sometimes seem overwhelming as we're gonna hear, God, that sometimes we are powerless against God, I pray that we would run to you in the midst of that, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, and that you would just encourage us as we hear from your word today. And so we just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll give you a heads up now. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So I'll give you some time to find it because it is Old Testament and it's hard to find. It's right after 1 Chronicles, if that's a hint. But 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be. And as you heard from your campus pastors, we're talking about fear. In fact, Jamie's going to hit on three topics, the fear of failure, the fear of death, and the fear of the future in the upcoming weeks. I've kind of got the all-encompassing umbrella, overcoming your fears. 
And I was telling our men's group on Tuesday morning, the irony is uh, that if there's anybody in this room that's afraid, it's me. I have the unspiritual gift of fear and anxiety. Okay, that's just the reality of my world. I'm, I'm terrified right now. Jamie's here. I'm afraid I'm going to fail Jamie. I'm afraid I'm going to let the elders down. I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. Like, it's just fear gripping me. And so I don't come up here with like five easy points to overcoming fear. Like I've got this all figured out. I'm not gonna share any of that with you. Really what I wanna do is kind of walk you through my own journey as I've wrestled with fear and anxiety and worry and see if any of this helps you or could be a blessing and encouragement to you as we study some of this stuff. So we're gonna be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let me kind of set it up for you, give you the context of what's going on. Israel has split into two tribes. You've got Israel and you've got Judah. Israel has all wicked kings. None of them are any good. Judah's kind of got a mixed bag of good kings and bad kings. And we happen to pick up our story with a really good king. His name's Jehoshaphat. He's kind of turned the people of Judah back towards the Lord. He's torn down some of the places of worship where they're worshiping false gods. And so God kind of blesses him. Blesses him financially, blesses him with protection from warring armies. But Jehoshaphat does something dumb. He goes and fights alongside the king of Israel. And God's not so happy with that. And so we pick our story up when it says, after these things, that's what's just taken place. And so really for the first time, Jehoshaphat's gonna be hit with some negative news and he's terrified. So here we go, chapter 20, verse one. It says, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Menunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hatzan Tamar, that is in Gedi, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He's terrified. He gets terrible news. There's three armies coming to wipe you out and he is scared to death. Now here's what I need all of us to do. Chances are good that a great horde is not gonna show up outside of your home sometime ready to wipe you out. Okay, we don't have that sort of fear. That's why we, we live in America and we're protected from a lot of things. Like that's not a, that's not a reality for most of us. But there are things that grip us with fear. There are things that we are afraid of. And what are those things? I need you to identify one of those things, if not many of those things, that terrify you. I'm not talking like I'm afraid of spiders. I get it. Those are gross. I'm talking about, man, I'm afraid to even think about this relationship that I have because it's so messed up and it's hard to think about even reconciling that. There's a doctor's appointment I don't want to make because I'm terrified of the results. There's a child that I even hesitate to even think about because they're so wayward right now that I'm afraid to think about that. What are those things that grip us with fear? Those things that terrify us, that kind of raise up in our lives and when we begin to focus on them, we just, we have an angst in our soul that just goes, ah, what is that for you? Because it's to that that I think God wants to speak to this morning. It's to that that I think God wants to encourage us a little bit in and how we handle that because I'm gonna make this statement what we believe about God has a direct impact on how we handle fear. What we believe about God has a direct impact on how we handle fear. Because if our God is not the infinite, all-powerful God of the universe, but we've shrunk him down into some small little God that we kind of, he's, he's, he's this, and the thing that we're afraid of, whatever that is that's in our lives that's got us worked up, we kind of go, well, God's good and God's big and God's all-powerful, but he can't handle this, which is why I'm so fearful of it which is why I'm so controlled by it. And so I wanna challenge maybe our view of how big your God is. Is your God all powerful? 
is he not big enough to handle whatever it is you're afraid of? And I don't say that in a trite way of like, hey, just trust God, everything will be all right. I'm not saying that at all. But is your God big enough to handle whatever it is that you're afraid of? We see what you believe about God is gonna directly impact how you handle fear. So Jehoshaphat's afraid. What does he do? He set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek the Lord, help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat gets terrible news. He's terrified and afraid. What is the first thing he does? He runs to the Lord. He runs to the Lord. Question for you, when life comes at you and things get scary and whatever it is that wells up in your life that you're afraid of, how quick are you to respond that way and run to the Lord? I would love to get up here and tell you when something happens in my life, the first thing I do is go to God. God, help me. It's not true. You know what I do? We got some bad news this week on, on unexpected something, and so I'm sitting there looking at it, and I, I go, okay, what do I got to do to fix this? How, how do I make this work? We, we, we could pull money from here, and we could change this, and we could do that, and, and what if we cut this out? And I kind of exhaust all of my options until I'm finally at the end of my rope going, man, I don't, this isn't going to make any sense. I, have, I've, I don't know what to do. And then I finally go, well, maybe God could help. God, what do you think? And we get it so backwards. I think the beauty of what Jehoshaphat does and shares with us here is that, man, he believes in the all-powerful God, and so when he gets bad news and he's terrified and afraid, the first thing he thinks of is, let's go to God, because only God can help. What might it look like for that to be our perspective on whatever it is that's gripping us with fear right now? Whatever that thing is for you, what might it look like for us to run to the Lord first instead of trying to figure it out on our own and when we're at the end of our rope, then we come to God. Jehoshaphat runs to the Lord first, and this is his prayer. This is where we're gonna camp out most of our time this morning. Verse five, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said this, O Lord, God of our fathers, underline these three words, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Are you not God in heaven? Are you not the all-powerful one? Are you not the one that spoke the universe into existence? Are you not the one that rules and reigns over every nation on earth right now? You are sovereign in control of all things. That is the God I'm appealing to. Here's my question for you. Is that the God that we come to at any moment? That all-powerful God? The one that is in control of all things? Guys, I get it. We turn on the news and the world looks like it's just going sideways. Don't think that God's not in control of all things. Don't think that his sovereignty isn't still a thing. Don't think that he's not still sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning and controlling everything. That's the God we can come to at any moment, the all-powerful God. See, what you believe about God's gonna directly impact how you handle fear. If you're not praying and you don't believe in that powerful God, Satan's already won and fear is gonna continue to grip you. How big is your God? Are you able to go to the all-powerful God like Jehoshaphat did here? Are you not all-powerful? Underline these three words in verse seven. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Jehoshaphat's second appeal. Are you not all-powerful? Absolutely you are. You are God in heaven. And because of that, did you not do these great things in our past? Did you not? Are you not all powerful? Did you not prove it over and over again in our past? Guys, we need 
some did you not moments in our own faith journey. Those moments that we would look at and say, look, no, I believe that God is all powerful because God's proven himself over and over and over again in my past. And so that gives me faith and confidence to trust him in the present. Do you have some did you not moments in your own life that you can look back on and go, you know what? This is scary, this is fearful, but I'm gonna run it through this filter and understand the all-powerful God has been faithful in my past so I can be faithful right now and I can trust him in the midst of this right now. Do you have a did you not moment? I'll share with you one of mine. For some of you, this might seem trite. For some of you, you'll get this. I was 20 years old when I got married. My wife was 19. Much to my parents and everyone else saying, hey, you know, you're too young, you're too young, you're too young. We got married anyway. I'm working full-time at Orange Tree Golf Resort as a bellman, 40 hours a week. I'm taking 21 credit hours of school at ACU, and I'm taking 30 hours of internship work at a church that I was at. So my life was just all over the place. But I had a plan. I was gonna finish school, I was gonna get a job, and we were gonna start our lives together. I come home from work one night. My wife's on the couch and she's sobbing. And just ladies, just so you know, anytime a man walks in and they see you crying, they immediately think, okay, what did I do wrong? And so I'm, sorry, I'm like playing it back. It wasn't her birthday. It's not her anniversary. Okay, I didn't, I took the garbage out. I'm all right. all right. So I'm trying to think all these things. And I finally asked her, what, babe, what's the matter? I'm pregnant. You talk about a great horde rushing against my city gates all in a moment. I am, I, I was all I could do not to throw up in that moment, but I got to be strong for my wife. I was terrified. What do you mean you're pregnant? I don't know how to be a husband, let alone be a father. What, the, what am I going to do? We don't have enough money. Like a date night for us is we would walk down our, our 600 square foot apartment. We would walk downstairs. We would walk to Circle K. We'd buy a Polar Pop. And then we'd walk around Target looking at all the things we couldn't afford. And then we'd walk home. And that was our date night. Cost us $1.85. It was awesome. <laughs> but that's all we could afford. We had no money. We had, no, I mean, it was nothing. Now I'm going to be a father? Man, I was terrified. Next eight and a half months go by, we did everything we could to save and to save and to save. And every time we'd get a little bit saved up, God would take it away. We just could not get ahead. And I know I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna find myself in the hospital. That doctor's gonna come out and go, here's your bill. And I, I can't pay it. I was helpless. Eight and a half months go by, I get a call while I'm driving to one of my jobs. My wife says, you need to come to the hospital. They're gonna induce me. Okay, I don't know what inducing means, but I'll show up at the hospital. So I show up at the hospital. <laughs> 21 years old, I don't have any idea. We show up and my wife's hooked up to all these IVs because she had some high blood pressure and stuff. And they go, all right, it's time. It's time for what? It's time for the baby. It can't be time for the baby. I'm, I, I'm still figuring out husband. I don't, I don't know how much, I can't be a dad. What do you mean it's time? It's time. Okay, all right. Wife gives birth to my beautiful baby girl, Madison. They place that baby in my arms, I'm looking down at this sweet, beautiful girl, one of the greatest gifts God's ever given me. And I'm looking at the, and I would love to tell you guys that I would look at her in the eyes and I just felt a sense of peace that came over me. And I just looked at her and thought, everything's gonna be all right, but that's not at all what I felt. I looked at this little girl and all I could think of is, I can't take care of you. I can't provide for you. I don't know how to be a dad. I'm gonna, I feel like I'm gonna fail you already. And I am scared to death of what our life's gonna look like. I was terrified. Two days go by, we're packing up, the doctor gave us the all clear, and I'm, I'm packing everything up in that hospital. New dads, if you're out there, anything not bolted to the ground is yours to take, <laughs> all right? 
I'm taking that blue sucker thing, all the blankets, I mean everything, I took it all. And we pack it all up, we get it loaded up, I come back up to get my wife and my daughter and in comes Timmy, there's a knock on the door. Hey, I'm Timmy from accounting, I'm here to take your insurance card to deal with your bill, oh no. Shaky hand, hand my wife's insurance card to little Timmy, out he goes. And in my head, I'm thinking, let's just get out of here now. You can't kidnap your own child, right? So let's just grab my wife. Let's get out of here now before Timmy comes back. Timmy was super good at his job. He came back about two minutes later and he goes, okay, Mr. Yule, you're here to discuss your bill. Uh, it looks like you have a $10 copay. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, we ran it through insurance. Our insurance covered everything. You owe us $10. I grabbed a $10 bill out of my wallet that I'd been given the day before. I gave it to Timmy and I grabbed my wife and daughter and got out of there as fast as I could. Because I'm sure they screwed something up. But I remember sitting there, I remember just sitting there buckling this beautiful baby girl into our car, just sobbing because God had just taken care of the thing that I was so afraid of for so long, he just showed up and took care of it. The next year and a half, two years of my life, I worked as a bellman at Orange Tree and there wasn't a month that went by that I didn't walk in there going, God, I need to make $37 tonight if we're gonna pay our rent. Can you just give me $37? Not a month went by that we didn't make that. Now, he never gave me 74. He always, he gave me like 39 so I could still take my wife on a date, but it was always that specific number. Whatever it was we needed to hit, we hit it. Man, my faith grew more during that time than maybe any other time in my life because I watched God show up over and over and over again. You wanna talk about ironic now? Uh, men, if you like to play golf, we have a men's golf group that plays every Monday. You know where we play? Because they gave us a good deal? Orange Tree. You know where I tee off every Monday at three o'clock on the number one tee? You know what's all down the right side? The very hotel rooms that God used to provide for me and my family over and over and over again. And it's a weekly reminder of God's faithfulness. You see, for me, and I don't know where you're at, again, show me that might seem trite, but for me, that's a did you not moment that when life gets hard now and something comes up and I get fearful of it now, and I wanna look at it and get consumed by it and go, God, this is so scary. I stop and I go, wait a minute, are you not all powerful? Did you not prove yourself faithful in my life over and over and over again? And I begin to remember and be reminded of those moments. And it helps take that fear and put it in a little bit better perspective. And I begin to realize and understand, look, if God's all powerful and he's proven it in the past, what makes me think he won't be faithful now? Guys, we need some did you not moments in our own faith journey. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do, two things. Identify what's your did you not moment. What's a moment that you would look at and say, you know what, this is totally of God. This was a God thing in my life and I am who I am today because God showed up and showed up here. What's your did you not moment? Second thing I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to share that with somebody this week. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, somebody, just go share. It's gonna do two things if you share that story with other people. One, it could greatly encourage another person's faith because they're gonna hear that and go, man, you're right. God is faithful. Second thing is this, between all of our campuses and people online, I think we have over 6,000 people that are here every week. Can you imagine if 6,000 people ascended upon Scottsdale and just went and bragged on God this week, what that might do? What that might do to the culture, what that might do to the heart of God as he looks down at his kids just bragging on him, man, that would be powerful. What's your did you not moment? What's that thing in your life that when fear grips you now, you look at and go, no, you know what? It's gonna be okay because God's been faithful in our past. That's Jehoshaphat's appeal. Are you not all powerful? Did you not prove it over and over again in the past? Go down to verse 12. Oh, our God, underline these three words. Will you not? 
Will you not execute judgment on them? Are you not all powerful? Did you not prove it in the past? So what, what makes us think you will not show up now in the present? You see how this is all coming together and what you believe about God directly impacts your fear. Whatever it is that's got you gripped right now, is he not all powerful? Has he not proven it in the past? So will he not prove it in the present? Some of you, these next few words are exactly where you're at right now. Look at what Jehoshaphat says and I wanna share with you a story. Will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. Guys, that's some of you in this room. You are powerless against whatever it is that's got you gripped with fear. And if you were to be honest, you would say, I I can't fix this. I don't know what to do. This is beyond my control. And you are powerless against it. So here's my question for you. Where are your eyes? Where do you allow your eyes to go? If this is what you're afraid of, are you focused on that? Or can you trust in the all-powerful God who's been faithful in your past and maybe lift them up for a moment and go, God, I don't know what to do. I'm powerless against this, but my eyes are on you. What might that do to our faith and maybe change our perspective on fear? It's an interesting story. If you guys know your New Testament, Peter was in a boat with 12 other guys or 11 guys and out comes Jesus walking on the water. Peter in his big mouth says, hey, if that's you, call me out. And so out of the boat hops Peter and he starts walking on water doing something no other human being has ever done in the history of mankind. He's defying the laws of physics, walking on water. And as long as his eyes are on Jesus, he's doing the impossible. But pretty soon the wind kicks up and here comes a wave and Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to look at this wave coming at him. And what does he do? He starts to sink. Jesus picks him up. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Puts him back in the boat. Guys, I think that's a great illustration, a great reminder for us. When fear grips us, when we're fearful of something, where do we allow our eyes to go? Do we become so consumed by whatever it is that we can't think about anything else? Or can we admit, look, this is scary, this is terrifying, I'm helpless against this, but I'm gonna lift my eyes up and put them on you, God, because I truly believe only you can help because I'm powerless against this. Maybe for you, that's what God would have you hear this morning. Pick your eyes up, get them back on the all-powerful God, are you not? I believe you are because you have been faithful, did you not, in my past? So I can trust you with whatever it is I'm afraid of right now. Let's keep going, verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah. Skip down to 15, because there's a bunch of names I'll just butcher, and I don't want to look like an idiot up here. So here we go, verse 15. And the prophet said to them, listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Real quick side note, do you know how many times that phrase, do not be afraid, appears in your Bible? 365 times. You could read, do not be afraid every day for a year and never hit the same one twice. Do you think God knew his kids had a problem with fear? Do you think maybe he's trying to convene a message to us Look, guys, stop being afraid. Trust me, I'm in control. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde. Underline this next statement here. For this battle is not yours, but God's. For this battle is not yours, but God's. Maybe that's the most important thing some of you guys could hear this morning because you've been fighting a battle for a really long time and God just wants to say to you this morning, hey, look, stop fighting. 
It's not your battle, it's mine. Stop, stop. Trust me, you guys remember a couple of weeks ago when Jamie shared a story about his daughter Hannah tying her shoes? I laughed because it's a situation that's played itself out in the Yule household a hundred times. I've got six kids, which means there's always somewhere to be and we are rarely on time. And so here's my little guy, he's trying to tie his shoes. And he's every nursery rhyme you could think of. Bunny ear, bunny ear, around the hole and through the loop. And he can't get it and he can't get it. And his sister's, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. And the tension is rising in the room. And he's sitting there getting more and more frustrated. And I'm just patiently standing there. Partly encouraged that my little guy's trying, but at the same time just going, hey, whenever you're done trying, let me know and I will help you. I will fix the problem for you. I can take care of that. But you gotta stop trying. Guys, I I tell you that story to say this. For some of you, you've been fighting something for a long time. Maybe it's that fear. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an addiction. I don't know what it is, but you've been fighting for a really long time. And maybe you're not winning because it's not your battle to fight. Maybe it's God's battle to fight. Now, I'm not saying God's gonna take it away. I'm not saying that, hey, if you're afraid, give it up to God and God will take care. That's not at all what I'm saying. I truly believe God's always gonna keep something fearful in my life because it forces me to be dependent upon him. And as much as I wish he'd take them away, it's the greatest gift he's given me because it forces my eyes back up on him. But I can tell you this, there are certain battles that I've fought in my life that at some point I just have to go, God, I'm powerless against this. I can't deal with this anymore. Would you fight for me? And then God shows up. Let's keep reading because he's gonna ask us to do three things in this whole idea of letting God fight the battles. Verse 16, tomorrow go down against them and behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. What are we asked to do? Three things, stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Stand firm, hold your position and watch God show up. Do you know what happens when we take a battle we've been fighting and we surrender it over to the Lord and then we do stand firm, hold our position and then if and when God shows up, you know who gets all the glory for that? It's not us. We don't pat ourselves on the back and go, look what God accomplished, I did it, no. You know who gets all the glory for that? God does, God does. Maybe there's something this morning that you guys need to say, maybe it's that thing you're afraid of And for the first time in a long time, you just need to leave that at the throne of the Lord and saying, God, I'm helpless and powerless against this. I need you to do what only you can do. And maybe God might show up in the midst of that. Maybe he'll take it away, maybe he won't. But is he all powerful and has he not been faithful in your past? So won't he be faithful in the present? Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Verse 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. What is their response to all of this? They worship. I need you guys to catch the significance of what's going on here. You know what's still right outside their city gates? The great horde. You know what any one of them could do? They could probably peek over the wall and they could probably see the glow of the fires of the camps right outside, ready to come wipe them out. If they were real quiet, if they weren't singing at the top of their lungs, they could probably hear the war chants of the armies getting ready to wipe them out. God hasn't solved their problem. God hasn't taken away their fearful situation. And yet, what do they do? 
They hear the promise of God and they start worshiping because they have absolute unwavering faith in the fact that God's gonna do what he said he's gonna do. So they start worshiping the Lord. Can we do that? Can we walk in here to this place and can we worship the Lord even in the midst of fearful stuff? Even in the midst of stuff going on in our lives that we could trust and say, you know what? No, God is for me. Who could be against me? I'm God's child and God loves me and nothing can separate me from that love. Like, are those the promises that we believe that even in the midst of fear, we can still look at and go, no, God is good and I'm gonna trust him anyway. And I'm gonna worship him with an unabandoned soul even though I got this going on in my life. And I think that's what we see from the people of Judah. They worship the Lord regardless of their circumstances. Let's wrap this up, verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and they went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. He goes from being afraid to listen to the confidence he has now. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. No doubt, no hesitation, verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. Now, catch this, interesting military strategy here, right? Some of you guys are in the choirs, nothing against choirs, but, but he sends the choir boys out first in front of the army. I don't know about you, but if I'm at all thinking I'm gonna have to fight a battle, I'm not gonna send my choir boys in their holy attire out first to get slaughtered in front of my army. You know why I think Jehoshaphat does this? Is because he fully believes God's promise of, hey, this is not your battle. You will not fight it. Just stand and watch me show up. And so out goes the choir first with the army going behind them. I gotta imagine some of those choir boys were going, I don't know if this is a good idea, but we're gonna try it anyway. And so out they go. Marching towards three armies ready to wipe them out. And what do they sing? They don't sing, God save us. God, please show up. God, we need your help. No, they sing this. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. God, thank you for your unending love, for your unfailing, enduring love. We see that army, they're right there, and we're singing and believing and it's coming, but God, thank you for your unfailing love. Circumstance hasn't been taken care of yet. They still can worship and praise and thank God for what he's doing. Can we do that? Even in the midst of our current fearful situation, can we worship and praise God? You see, that takes a belief in God that he is all powerful. It takes a faithful, did you not pass for you to go, God was faithful then, as scary as it is, I'm gonna trust him now in the present. And then we watch God show up. To me, this next section, it's, it's not as significant as a prayer, but let's look at what God does, verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sire, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Sire, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Sire, they all helped to destroy one another. So you get what's going on here? Three armies, two of them go, hey, let's, we don't need all three of us to wipe out Judah, let's take out Mount Sire. So they all kill them. And then they kind of go, hey, we don't need you either. So they fight against each other. And I don't know how it played out, but inevitably there's gotta be two guys at the end going, all right, well, and they just off each other at the same time because all of a sudden Judah shows up 
and they're all dead. God routes them for them, and here comes the singing choir with the army behind them, and they go, hey, we weren't supposed to fight this battle, and they show up, and they just look at a massive slaughter going, we didn't have to fight this battle. God showed up and did exactly what he said he was gonna do. You can read later in the story, it says they were three days in taking the spoils from this army. This was a massive army. This was no small thing that God did. And you know why I think it's recorded? In 2 Chronicles, because it's another did you not moment of God's faithfulness to his people. And one that maybe for us we could look back on and go, yes, God was faithful then. Won't he be faithful now? So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your fear is. I don't know what it is that's got you gripped. But maybe this morning for the first time in a long time, you can maybe get your eyes off of that, lift them up to the all-powerful. Are you not all-powerful, God? Did you not prove it in the past over and over and over again? And so can I not trust you in the present? Maybe that will help. It's helped me a lot just to bring some of these up and to be reminded of God's past faithfulness. And it helps me overcome some of the fears that I'm experiencing even now. Let me pray for us. And we're gonna go to the time of communion. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you just for my own life, for the past faithfulness and the, the so many moments that I can look back on and go, God, yes, you were faithful then and it helps me overcome some of my fears now. God, I pray for some men and women in this room and at all of our campuses this morning, God, that you would help us identify those faithful moments that we could trust you in the midst of our current situation. And God, though you may never take it away from us, whatever it is we're afraid of, we can find you in the midst of it and that you would be faithful in the midst of it and that we'd be encouraged in the midst of what we're going through because you are all powerful and you love us as your kids. So we can lay those fears at your feet and you can do what only you can do. So God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you just for a chance to study your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.